0: You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. When you read and study the Bible, I think the Holy Spirit does two primary things. I think the Holy Spirit as we learn more about God from his word causes us to worship we respond in worship I also think as we learn more about ourselves in fact the book of James calls the Bible a mirror it's where it gives us this honest picture of who we are the Holy Spirit causes us to be convicted or conviction so I think that's the two things that we ask the Spirit to do when we read through scripture and study scripture is is Um, Help me worship God and help me be convicted about my own life. Like, what do I need to actually change? And this story that we're looking at as we're going through this series called Redefining Religion in the Book of Luke, the story that we're going to look at today that I have been reading through all week, it's caused me to worship and it's caused me to be convicted all week long. And it's a reminder. It's another example of how Jesus turns the tables from what we are prone to expect or even would believe would be true to something that is even better to something that is so good. And I think that's why Jesus tended to get very polarized responses. It's because it didn't go the way people expected it to go. I think that happens with us, right? When, when, when things don't go the way that we expect, either it's really good or it's really bad. Either people would respond with blessing or or cursing. Yes, I didn't get to this past weekend was Halloween, we didn't get to trick or treat and so it wasn't what I expected. And there's a part of me that didn't respond well to that cuz I grew up trick or treating and everything like that. However, I still 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 ended up with the Halloween hangover from all the candy that was consumed. We usually respond really well or really poorly to when things don't go the way that we expect them to go. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, it says that Jesus is like this to some, Jesus is this sweet smelling aroma, something that smells really good. It's like, I want more of that. And yet to others, Jesus is like the aroma of, what it's, of of death. It smells like death. And maybe you've used that phrase before and that's not a good phrase. It's not the latest candle fragrance that has just come out. It's something that smells horrible to them. It's something, get this away from me. And that's typically the response that people gave Jesus. Either it was a blessing or cursing. Either it was life or death. And what I love about Jesus is that even though he got very polarized responses from people, he offers hope for all, no matter where their heart is at. He offers hope to the heart that's been broken by the world, that through their own sin or the sins of others, their dreams and their hopes have been shattered. The ones whom the world would look at as far from God. In fact, Jesus was defined. It was, it was more of a, a criticism, but Jesus actually uses it as part of his character that in, in, in Luke seven verse 34, it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. What an amazing description. So Jesus offers hope for those whose hearts have been broken by the world. But at the same time, Jesus offers hope to those whose hearts were as hard as stone. The ones that knew the customs, the traditions, that masqueraded as knowledge of God and yet knew nothing of the actual experience of Yahweh God. And immediately we think of people called, if you know your Bible, you know the gospels, you immediately think of people called Pharisees. And that's whom we are introduced to once again in our story today. And we tend to give Pharisees a really bad rap. But here in our story, we see that Jesus actually dined with one. He was invited by a Pharisee. And Jesus actually sat around a table with him. So Jesus offers hope to a heart that's been broken by the world, to a heart that's also as cold as ice. He offers hope to both people. He doesn't show favor. And I love that he doesn't show favor to a certain people group. He doesn't show favoritism to a certain church denomination. He doesn't show favoritism to a certain political affiliation. He offers hope to all people because of this. Where Jesus is, is like these two different worlds collide. They were both intrigued. They were both attracted to him. They both wanted to hear from them and the responses were radically different. But both hearts were invited to Jesus. So I'm going to read this passage in Luke chapter 7 verse 36 to 50. And I think you're going to be able to worship and be convicted as well from it as much as I was says this in Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. That's Jesus asked to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I'll explain in a second what that means. And behold, a woman of the city. That's her description. She's a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, who is his name? I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Here's Short little parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is about a 20-month's wages. And the other 50, which is about two-month's wages. And when they both couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I think reading into it rather uneasily, because he knows where Jesus is going here. The one, and I love... I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged correctly, or do you have judged rightly? Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And Simon, this religious elite, probably wasn't even looking at her, was so disgusted by her. Jesus says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my uh, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he who, And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an amazing story. An account of the good news, the gospel that Jesus offers. And how we respond. And where Jesus is, you can see you can clearly sense this is two worlds colliding, two contrasting characters here. On one side, you have a Pharisee who is completely in his element. He's with a group of group of men seated around a table. All of them would be reputable religious men. And even though, you know, hospitality is very their culture is very different back then, whereas for us, when we enter when we enter our house, we close the door, we lock it. Especially we live in Canada; it's cold outside. But there, um, their culture would have, the door likely would have remained open. And what happened was, as they are, as these reputable reputable men are seated around this table, uh, there could be poor people who come in and literally they could eat the scraps that were left. So they 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 could have entered the house and been a part of that, but not really. And I'll get to that in a second. So even though the door was what would have been open, the table was invite only. That's Simon, the Pharisee, completely in his element, in his own home. That's one world. On the other side, you have this complete contrast of characters, this woman And in that culture, a woman was not invited to be around the table. Uh, and when it says that they were reclining at the table, what that meant was uh, they all would have been laying almost on their side around this table, all these men. And, and anyone on the outside of the table, it's almost kind of like a, 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 a in-your-face reminder that you are not invited to the table. Why? Because all you could see were feet. It was just men's feet all around this table. It's like a reminder that you're not invited. And that's what it would look like when they're reclining. And obviously this woman was on the outside and all she could get to was Jesus' feet. Not only was she a woman not invited to the table. Two, it says her description was she was a woman of the city, which meant she was worldly. Uh, she would have been known as not someone not close to God, likely a prostitute. We're not told, but likely that that would have been the case. Three, it says, this is her description. You imagine this being on your resume. This is who you are, who was a sinner. And we're not just talking those who, you know, all of us kind of believe if you're a Christian that everyone's, a, we're, we're all sinners and, and our uh, our theology of total depravity and things like that. But this woman what it when it meant when when it says who was a sinner that was like a reputation everyone would have known this woman was far from God she is beyond hope completely out of her element so we have two very contrasting characters that are with Jesus <laughs> one is at his head around the table one is at his feet. And this woman does some crazy things. I mean, she comes in with, brings this really expensive flask made of alabaster full of ointment, not just oil, which would have been traditionally used as what you were anointed with. That was the cheap oil was Olive oil was plentiful, but ointment was not. Ointment was this rare perfume. And so for her to bring it, it's almost careless of her to do. She brings this alabaster flask of ointment. She stands behind him at his feet. That's all she can get to. She can't even get to his head. She's weeping. She wets his feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet and she anoints his feet with oil. I mean, with ointment, not just oil. Kind of a crazy scene. And I wonder how I would have responded. You know, I'm sitting around that table or I'm, you know, reclining at that table. What would, what would I have done as an outside observer? And what are the things that I would have thought when this kind of unfolded, this really almost careless act from a woman who was known to be pretty far from God, who most people would have assumed this is, she is hopeless And I think we need to appreciate something here that this would have taken some major guts, some great courage on her part. You know, have you ever felt like you've been at an event where everyone knows each other, everyone's in their element, and you're the only one who doesn't know the drill, like you feel so on the outside, everyone knows each other, they all talked about what they do, they all... You know, they know the drill and you're the only person who doesn't know anyone else. Maybe you've been a plus one at a wedding where everyone knows each other and you're you're literally the only one there who doesn't know anyone. I mean, she's completely out of her element. Would take some major courage to do this. This scene and then have not only that, but have all these men gawking at her and and, and, and examining what she's doing. And I, and I think to myself, like, would I have that kind of courage? Knowing to approach Jesus with an act that maybe is not, it was misunderstood or would have been gawked at, knowing that publicly it would be disgraceful. And I think the biggest contrast between these two characters is the Pharisee has a name. His name is Simon and he's um, he speaks. We even see inside of his mind. And yet for this woman, if you notice something, she doesn't say a word and she doesn't have a name. And this man is one of these... One of the group who is examining logically, trying to figure out this scene. It says in verse 39, Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he says to himself, If this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Basically, what he's saying is this. He's trying to logically figure this scene out. What he, what he's saying is this. E- either he's not a prophet, because one, he doesn't know who who she is or what sort of woman she is or two he knows who she is and he's still letting her touch him because here's the big religious misunderstanding that we can so often believe that sin is like a virus you can catch by simply being in the presence of a sinner it's like i can become one of them too That the healthy should be separate from the unhealthy lest you get sick from sin. And those who are sick, this sounds familiar because we're all dealing with coronavirus. Those who are sick, who are showing symptoms of their sin, should stay home lest they infect the healthy. And we can believe that Sin is like that rather than sin coming from our own selfish hearts from when what Jesus is going to point to that sin begins with a cold relationship with God. It begins with a rejection of the relationship with God inside of our own hearts, not just not being in the presence of sin as if you can catch it, but we can so often believe that sin is a virus you can catch. That's why this man was appalled that Jesus, this religious teacher, let her touch him. You know, even more so what this woman and who she was likely a prostitute when she lets down her hair because women weren't supposed to do that in that culture. They would not unbound their hair. In fact, that was a sign of of an erotic gesture. And so the fact that she lets down her hair and dries his feet with her hair, it's almost like... Hey, You know, he's putting himself in a pretty controversial position. Can you imagine in our day where TMZ gets a hold of that religious teacher, Christian, well-known Christian teacher seen with questionable woman? You know, can you imagine those headlines? And he can just kind of feel where the Pharisee's heart is at. And he wants to write a bad Google review. One star. Very disappointed. (laughs) You know those one star Google reviews? Very disappointed. Not what I expected. That's what this man was taking away from Jesus. Because Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't view this woman as a virus. He seems to welcome her presence, regardless of who she is or what she has done. He seems to welcome her presence. And I, I, I just have to take this away that presence, because we can struggle with this, a presence does not equal endorsement. You know, sometimes we think, you know, if I'm too close to this part, well, you know, what are people going to think? Um, You know, are are people going to think that I approve of what this person is doing just by being with them, just by showing love to them? And Jesus knew what they thought. He knew how they would judge him. In fact, we see that from Luke's account. We can see right into the mind of the Pharisee that they were all judging him. They were all thinking, this man's got poor motivations here. He's putting himself in a, a bad position, even being seen with this woman, even being touched with this woman. But Jesus knew what they thought and he still didn't care. In fact, Jesus doesn't shy away at all. I love this. He turns the tables. While everyone is examining this woman. In one line, Jesus says, knows what this man is thinking in his head. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus is going to correct him and basically say, you are misguided. I know who she is. And I still welcome her. Not just, I know who she is, but he says this, I know who you are. She isn't the one being examined here. He like turns the tables. You are the one being examined and he tells a simple parable. And I think Simon gets it. Two, there's a money lender. There's two debtors. One owes 20 months debt. One owes two months debt. Basically, you can boil it down to, regardless of the amount of debt that they both have, both of them have debt. And both of them needed forgiveness. You know, a week might say, well, I'm not as in debt as the other one. You're still in debt. But Jesus' point is quite simple. And I don't want to make this more complicated than it is. Because I think the point of this story is quite simple. That just we need to challenge our hearts with. Not try to like figure out. I don't think we need to figure out. I think we need to be challenged by this simple story. If you believe you're a little sinner. I don't really have that much debt. Not at least not compared to them. You have little concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Which means you have little love for God. And if you can take anything away, here, here's here's what Jesus is saying: he, I'm not so concerned about your depth of sin. I'm so cu- concerned about your depth of forgiveness. See, this woman recognized her sin, but in that she she was aware that she needed forgiveness, and she responded in love. Big sin. Big forgiveness, big love for God. On the other hand, this man knew much of customs and traditions and manners, but he knew very little about forgiveness and love. Forgiveness possesses transforming power. An awareness of God's forgiveness over you, it's what actually propels you to respond in love. You know if you were if you couldn't pay your mortgage and the banker shows up at your door and says i'm gonna pay it for you how would you respond i mean you can't pay it you're in debt you, you cannot pay back this debt that you owe i mean who knows you, you could lose your house you know imagine your family being forced you know forced onto the street you lose your house everything in it. And, It's foreclosed because you can't pay your mortgage. And this banker shows up and says, you know, I'm going to pay it for you. How would you respond? I mean, you would love this man because he's forgiven you of your debt. He's paid it for you. You would respond in love and gratitude. And, you know, I'm, I am never, I'm not going to leave this man. I'm I'm going to live for this man. I want to, you would respond in gratitude. And not only that, you would tell all of your friends, you need this guy you need to go to this this guy for your mortgage. And guys, I would just say this. If your heart is cold toward God, it's quite it's quite simple. You likely feel a little bit or a lot that God actually hasn't forgiven you. He owes you. God owes God owes me. Jesus kind of summarizes the parable at the end in this contrast. You see this woman I I entered your house you gave me no feet water for my feet but she's wet my hair with wet my feet with her tears, she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss but from the time I came she hasn't ceased kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, she's anointed she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you as as we've already said, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The house and the hospitality that was supposed to be shown by this Pharisee is a, Jesus saying, it's a picture of what's going on in your heart. There's this contrast between someone who identifies the sin that is in their life. And they, they're aware of much sin, much forgiveness to little sin and little forgiveness. And these are how these two things respond. Here's the first one. with When Jesus says, Uh, uh, you're supposed to be washing my feet and she's washed them with her tears. Here's here's the difference for someone in, in response between these two people. One is humble remorse. This woman shows humble remorse as opposed to cold arrogance. I mean, feet are... To clean someone's feet is a humble act. Feet are just gross things. But to actually cry on someone's feet and use your own tears to wash them. I mean, that is humble remorse. She was willing to do anything for Jesus. And yet this man couldn't be bothered. It's cold arrogance. That kind of act is not for him and a man of his reputation and his stature. That's for someone else to do. Not only that, he says, you didn't kiss me. It's a little bit of a cultural difference. But she's she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. This woman responded with bold intimacy as opposed to proud optics. Bold intimacy as opposed to proud optics. And I think more than anything, this is what convicted me. Now, this woman... Uh, was viewed as with disgust, almost for her really bold display of intimacy. How much she loved Jesus and what he had done for her. For me, I, I've i been convicted about that because I'm not good at a lot of things, but one thing I am good at is reading a room. You know, I can sense when People are having fun or they're not having fun or it's awkward and I can feel the awkwardness. And even as I said before, you know, when it's awkward and I, I've left some parties like that when it just feels awkward. And I can be so concerned with how people view me. Proud optics, not willing to display my affection because I'm afraid of what people are going to think. Lastly, says Jesus says you didn't even anoint me with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. She displays her response was lavish love. Think of the sacrifice for a poor woman like her to actually use ointment which was a rare treasure. Almost carelessly, lavishly using it on Jesus. Lavish love as opposed to his response. Stingy politeness. I mean, he knew he knew the customs. He didn't even feel, fulfill that. He was stingy, just doing the bare minimum of what he had to do. Humble remorse as, remorse as opposed to cold arrogance. Bold intimacy as opposed to proud optics. And lavish love as opposed to stingy. A couple of questions as I close. First one is this. And I think our church and as Christians, we need to wrestle with this. Do we see people for who they've been or what God can make them? Do we see people for who they have been or what God can make them? How many times have you said when someone responds almost carelessly that person's weird. He's kind of strange. Before we even given them a chance. We haven't even given them a chance. I think as Christians, we need to be careful of our crusade for righteousness that is devoid of compassion for the sinner. Cuz it just comes off as cold arrogance. We need to be careful of our crusade for righteousness that is devoid of compassion for the sinner. Just being right because it comes off as cold and it comes off as arrogant and it ultimately forgets that you too needed forgiveness. Secondly, and I've been convicted as I've meditated on this woman's response, would I come to Jesus in, in the face of public, disgust, a public disgrace or disgust or would I be so concerned of what everyone thinks about me? Someone who responds like that, they've been forgiven much and they love much. That's someone who's willing to do anything to show affection for the person that has saved them. I love how it ends. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. That tense is called a perfect tense. It means it's an accomplished fact. By her faith, she's been saved. I've been convicted, and ultimately, I've responded in worship for this amazing God man, Jesus. For how he turns the tables with something that's so good, so much better than what we would expect, what, what is our normal experience. It's not about your depth of sin. It's the depth of forgiveness. Because that forgiveness has such transforming power so that we respond in love for God. There's no other way. This is the gospel. Jesus is awesome.